Hello and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHEST, I'd like to welcome you to this month's CHEST podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the moderator of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really informative discussion on lung cancer screening. Today, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Nicole Tanner as our guest, and we will be discussing her article entitled, Guideline Recommended Lung Cancer Screening Adherence is Superior with Centralized Approach. Uh, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Sure, and thank you for having me. My name is Nicole Tanner. I am a pulmonary critical care physician at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, and I have a joint appointment at the Ralph H. Johnson Veterans Affairs Hospital. An absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast with us. We're discussing a very important topic, that of lung cancer screening. And the first question I have for you is, why did you perform the study? Why were you looking at whether a centralized or decentralized approach to improved lung cancer screening? Sure. So as many of the people listening in, like lung cancer screening has been an approved recommendation by the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force for quite some time. And in fact, most recently, there was a change to the criteria to include younger patients with a lighter smoking history. Uh, And since its implementation, uh, lung cancer screening has been rolled out across the country in various ways. And um, one of the most important aspects as we look at community-based screening is adherence. And so adherence is really defined as returning for your annual lung cancer screening in uh, the appropriate amount of time. And the reason that adherence is so crucial is that in the big trials that gave us the evidence for lung cancer screening, trials such as the National Lung Screening Trial and the Nelson Trial in Europe, it was really shown that um, cancers were found on subsequent scans. So while a baseline scan or getting that patient in for their first LDCT is important, it's even more important that they return every year. And what we know from the big trials is that adherence, at least in the National Lung Screening Trial, was upwards of 95% across three years. And that's not something that we have seen uh, in community-based screening for breast cancer or colorectal cancer. The data for lung cancer screening in the community has not reached that 95% adherence level. And so if we want to maintain that mortality benefit from lung screening, it's really important to uh, emphasize and be proactive at bringing patients back uh, for their annual lung cancer screenings. And so the reason to look at this particular approach was to try to determine what types of infrastructure would be better um, to bring these patients back specifically as it relates to adherence. And so that's why we took a look at a centralized approach to see if it improved uh, adherence to lung cancer screening. That makes a lot of sense. We've definitely seen a benefit with the RCTs, but does it translate into the real world? So for the benefit of our audience, you know, what is a centralized approach versus a decentralized approach? Sure. That's a very important delineation to make. And so I would say there's three separate ways to do lung cancer screening. There's a centralized approach, a decentralized approach, and then a hybrid approach. A decentralized approach to screening is what we have known for many, many years. 
It is where a primary care provider will see a patient and recommend age-appropriate, risk factor-appropriate screening. Um, that's managed by primary care providers. They get the results. They deal with the findings, et cetera. A centralized approach is where a provider or the patient will refer to a centralized program. And so what is a centralized program? Well, a centralized lung cancer screening program typically has a dedicated nurse navigator. Oftentimes, it's an advanced practice provider like a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner that's running the screening. And so with that centralized approach, once the referral is made, that advanced practice provider will conduct shared decision-making with the patient to discuss the risks and the benefits of screening, which is a mandate by the uh, by CMS for reimbursement for lung screening to conduct a shared decision-making visit prior to the LDCT scan. Um, and then that program will manage all of the findings. And so if there is a, an abnormal finding like a screen-detected nodule that's worrisome, there's typically a multidisciplinary group of pulmonologists, thoracic oncologists, thoracic surgeons, thoracic radiologists that review these types of abnormalities and determine the best next best steps. Also, the centralized uh, approach allows for that dedicated coordinator who often has some type of tracking tool uh, to ensure that not only is the patient made aware of the results, but that that patient is notified in enough time that it's time to come back. And so that centralized approach has been shown in some studies to, uh, it suggested shows that an improvement um, in adherence. And so that's what we were really um, trying to look at. And then I would say that the last bit piece there is that the hybrid approach is when you have a little bit of both. So maybe you're in a large medical um, healthcare system where the primary care provider has the option to either order the LDCT after conducting shared decision-making with the patient or put in a referral to the centralized program where the centralized program then takes over. So listening to um, that description, um, one would say that there's probably advantages and disadvantages of both a centralized versus a decentralized approach. If it was a decentralized, the patients could see their primary care as someone who they trust. Um, but the disadvantages of that would be um, sometimes the primary care providers get very busy. Um, in contrast, with the centralized approach, it tends to be, I would imagine, very resource-intensive, um, and patients um, have to follow up with someone that maybe they don't know um, as well as their primary care. What would you want our audience to be aware of in terms of advantages and disadvantages? Sure. And, you know, I'm not here to say that we should take away lung cancer screening from um, primary care providers, but as you mentioned, uh, they're often very busy. And, you know, in the confines of a 15-minute office visit where chronic illnesses such as diabetes control and hypertension really are at the forefront, screening and preventative services are often an afterthought. And so if you can imagine being within a 15-minute office visit, it might not come to the front of the conversation. Also, there's this whole concept of shared decision-making, and there have been a number of studies in the literature that show that that is not enough time to do appropriate shared decision-making. And if we are expecting our providers to carry on and do all of these um, types of tasks, it just becomes very um, labor-intensive for the primary care provider. And there have been some qualitative studies that show that um, those, pa uh, those providers that are seeing patients actually prefer 
to some extent to have a centralized program so they don't have to, to worry about the nuances of lung cancer screening and even further the nuances of screen-detected pulmonary nodule management. I think, you know, it's, it's true that perhaps the um, centralized program is, is a group of, of individuals that the patient does not know, but if that recommendation comes from their provider, perhaps that angst is a little bit less. Um, I think the advantages of a centralized approach is really um, that uh, there's a lot less um, likelihood of things falling through the cracks. Uh, eligibility be, can be confirmed. Um, you know, the, the team takes over any type of prior authorization that needs to be done. Uh, the patients get their results in a timely manner and have the opportunity to ask questions. And certainly they're brought back for any additional testing that needs to be done and brought back annually. So I think that's a huge advantage. Certainly there are some resources that need to be invested, including the cost of an FTE for a nurse practitioner and any type of dedicated tracking software to ensure there's a way to follow these patients. I think as many of the people um, listening in might know, it's really impossible to manage a screening program with a spreadsheet. And so um, that becomes uh, an investment that the practice or the healthcare system has to be willing to invest. Uh, In the end, I think, you know, the downstream revenue of surgeries from early detected cancers um, and, you know, potentially procedures in the appropriate patients will offset that type of cost from a programmatic standpoint. So I, I think that, you know, I guess if I had my magic wand and I could make everything centralized, I would because I think the outcomes are, are better for the patient, but I certainly understand that not one size fits all. Great. I think you set the stage for us really well, Nicole. So let's jump into your study. Uh, what were your aims and what were your objectives? Sure. So the aim of this study was to evaluate a hybrid lung cancer screening program and really to compare the outcomes as far as adherence goes between the centralized component, i.e. the patients referred to the centralized program, and those that were screened with the decentralized component, meaning those patients that were screened by their primary care providers. And so we wanted to see there was any difference um, in patient eligibility for lung cancer screening as well as adherence and try to see if there were any predictors uh, that would um, predict, you know, whether or not someone was adherent or not. Uh, so those were the that was, those were the goals of the study. Um, and so we retrospectively went back within a single center uh, program that had a hybrid approach and looked at a cohort of over 1,000 patients. I think it was 1,117 to be exact. They all had a baseline um, Lodo CT scan, um, and I can go through the results if you would like me to. Sure. If you could just go briefly to um, your key yeah. study methods and how they addressed any limitations of previous studies, and then we could jump into your key findings. Sure. Sorry, I was jumping the gun there. So, um, yeah, the, the methods was really um, to use a, a retrospective uh, analysis via chart review, um, and so we looked at the patient demographics and compared those uh, uh, demographics between those that were screened by the centralized and decentralized approach and between adherent and non-adhered patients um, using uh, T-tests as, uh, you know, the usual ana- analysis of variance as appropriate. Um, and we looked at annual adherence um, using data from patients who remained eligible for screening. Uh, certainly there were exemptions for patients who had developed a lung cancer or no, were no longer eligible. And we really limited it to uh, lung grads a score of one or two. And let me just clarify what that is for those that might not be in the screening space. Uh, when an LBCT is conducted, there is structured reporting that has been developed by the American College of Radiology. That um, structured reporting is called lung rads. A lung rad score of one or two 
uh, means that the patient should return within the next 12 months. I think it's also important to define um, what adherence was for the purposes of this study and others that have been done in this space. And we chose to use the adherence definition that was adopted by the National Lung Screening Trial Investigators. And they defined adherence to annual screening as returning within 11 to 15 months of the baseline scan. And I think, you know, it's important for this study that we did not include lung rads 3 or 4 patients when we were trying to look at annual adherence because lung rads 3 and 4 patients have a screen-detected nodule or some other abnormality that means that, um, that, that would need for them to come back at an earlier time. And uh, previous work that we've done has shown that individuals who have a screen-detected pulmonary nodule or some kind of abnormal finding are much more likely to be adherent for a very variety of reasons. As you can imagine, if you had a screen-detected nodule, you might be more concerned. So, too, might the provider or the navigator who is managing your lung cancer screening results be a little bit more on edge about trying to bring you back a little bit more proactive. And so those were the methods. Um, you know, as far as how uh, these address limitations of previous studies, I, you know, don't really think there have been very many studies comparing this type of um, of outcome between uh, a centralized and decentralized approach. In fact, I think we're the first. But um, as it relates to adherence studies, as I mentioned before, some um, large adherence studies did include individuals who had lung rads three and four um, readings, which I think can skew the results because uh, those patients and providers are probably more likely to return. Great. So let's jump into your key findings. Uh, what were they and how did you interpret them? So the key findings of this cohort of 1,117 patients who, again, had a baseline scan um, and uh, were, were that um, there were some proportion of them were actually ineligible by the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force criteria, version 1. Uh, so 19% were ineligible. And when you looked at those patients that were ineligible, the majority that were screened that were, inel that were ineligible to begin with came from the decentralized uh, group of patients. And so um, that was 90% of those. And then after we excluded patients who were no longer eligible for lung screening because of uh, death or they aged out or they no longer had the former PACIR history, um, or they had lung cancer, um, we were left with 765 patients who had a lung rad score of one or two. And the overall adherence for this group of 765 was 56%. Now, remember, the adherence in the National Lung Screening Trial was 95%. But when you stratified the adherence between the centralized program and the decentralized program, the centralized approach, um, those groups of patients, 70% of them were adherent to annual screening compared to 41% of those who were screened uh, by the decentralized approach. And not surprisingly, that was statistically significant. Um, and when we looked further uh, to see what, um, who was more likely to be adherent or not, 73% uh, of those I'm sorry, um, individuals screened by the decentralized approach were actually 73% less likely to be adherent. And so I think those are the major findings. One other finding that we found, which I thought was interesting, was that um, a greater proportion of patients who had three or more comorbidities were screened by their primary care providers and not by the centralized approach. And that has some implications as we think about um, who is eligible for screening uh, and, and who should be referred. So that data would suggest that a decentralized approach um, 
both contribute to inappropriate screening. The patients who shouldn't be screened are being screened. And secondly, that uh, they tend to have a higher level of non-adherence. Uh, what do you think the reasons are for that? Well, I think the reasons are many. I think, again, it just draws back to the competing, uh, you know, I don't want to say competing causes, but the competing um, uh, issues that need to be evaluated during a primary care provider um, uh, visit. So um, I think that, that, you know, somebody might also not be returning every year. So if it's annual adherence, uh, you know, I can say, at least for myself, I don't see my provider annually, although I should. Um, and so if you have an individual who's coming in uh, in January of one year, he or she might not come back for another 18 months, and then you're outside the window of being adherent. I will say that as part of this hybrid program, uh, the centralized approach was actually pinging the primary care providers with uh, notifications through the EMR, oh, hey, your patient is due for screening, um, even though those patients weren't ever part of the centralized program to try to increase adherence in those that were screened outside of the program. And even with that type of pinging, uh, the adherence was only 41%. So I think um, to answer your question as to why that is, I, I just don't think that the providers really have a good way of knowing who's due. Um, they have other things to do. They're busy. Uh, this is not their sole goal uh, as far as patient care is concerned, whereas uh, a centralized lung cancer screening program, that is their, their primary purpose. So I think that's why we see a lot of those differences. And, again, it's not even perfect fair, right? If we're really trying to achieve 95% adherence like there was in the National Lung Screening Trial, 70% is way closer than 41%, but we still have uh, some room for improvement. And, and, again, that's so important because there have been modeling studies that show when adherence drops below that of the NLSP, when, when you get to adherence level of around 50%, the mortality benefit from lung screening is really cut in half. So you're really not um, getting the biggest bang for your buck by way of screening if you don't bring patients back. So let's jump into the centralized approach. Um, as, as you stated, it's definitely better than the decentralized approach. What are the reasons for that? Um, um, obviously, it's because uh, they have a bit more time. The nurse practitioner or the, uh, the physician assistant is able to work solely on this project. Um, and then maybe you could comment on why uh, this centralized approach in the real world is just not performing as well as they did in the RCT, and how would you recommend we improve that? Sure. So those are great questions. I think the reason the centralized approach is, quote, superior, as we said in the manuscript, is, is what you've alluded to, is that it's a program and this is its focus. Um, there's a lot of time that's put into it. Uh, there are relationships that are made in that the um, APP or navigate, nurse navigator for the screening program is conducting these shared decision-making visits and really eliciting patient preferences around screening and getting an idea of what's important to the patient and can make a recommendation based on that. Um, then the other key feature is the um, platform to help follow patients. And so there's a number of commercially available software platforms that integrate into the EMR and allow um, uh, the end user to see who's due for screening. And so the centralized programs really spend a lot of time contacting patients. So if you're due for a scan uh, in one in a month, they're calling you ahead of time. Letters go out. They're, they're making that extra phone call, uh, whereas in um, a primary care provider's office, I don't know that they're always able to do that, to reach out on multiple occasions to try to bring somebody back for something they might think of as elective. And so um, adherence in the centralized program is also something that's uh, 
stressed during the shared decision-making visit. So the comments to the patient will be, well, if you sign up for this, you need to know that we want to do this every year until you're not eligible anymore. And so expect to come back every year. Um, And so I think that's why uh, it does better than the decentralized program. And it really just gets down to a single focus. As it relates to why adherence is not as good as it is in a randomized clinical trial, well, in a randomized clinical trial, um, as everybody listening to this know, knows, that there's a slew of uh, study coordinators and invested people that are reaching out to patients. Patients get reimbursement for coming back uh, in a timely fashion, um, and I think that's why the adherence in randomized clinical trials is so high across the board for all screening trials, really. And then there's this whole um, notion of the um, healthy volunteer effect. So many of the patients who volunteer to be part of screening trials, including lung screening trials, are better educated. Um, they're very worried and, and, you know, they're considered the worried while well, they want to come back. Uh, they're proactive for screening. Whereas in um, the real world, as it were, the patients that we are approaching uh, don't really match those of the participants of the NLST. For example, the patients that are eligible um, tend to be uh, older than those that were screened in the National Lung Screening Trial. Their socioeconomic status measured by uh, education level is lower. They also tend to be more um, frequently be people that currently smoke. And so all of these types of um, of, of demographics have been associated with uh, poor adherence across the board for all screening uh, trials. And so this is really, I think it's important to say with lung screening, this is the first time we are trying to reach a group of individuals, not because of age or family history per se, but because of a bad um, health habit, because they have smoked cigarettes. And so that group of, of individuals has actually been shown in other studies to be less likely to identify a primary care provider uh, and be of lower socioeconomic status, and so perhaps they can't take the day off to come back. So I think that, um, you know, there's a number of reasons why our results uh, in the real world aren't as good as in um, the randomized uh, trials that have been done. And it's interesting because those numbers, those adherence levels of 95%, are what are used when modeling is done to determine the cost efficacy of screening, to determine uh, who who should be offered screening. All of these types of calculations always put in a 95% adherence rate, and it's just not there. And as I alluded to before, when sensitivity analyses are done around this, for instance, you drop adherence from 95% to 40%, the mortality benefit goes down, the cost goes up. So this is a really critical and crucial issue that needs to be addressed as it relates to lung screening. That is so important. Um, I want to ask you about um, the predictors of adherence. Um, Obviously, a centralized approach improved adherence, but in your study, you also found that uh, male gender and lung rad 2 score uh, predicted adherence. Maybe you could comment on um, the gender issue and the lung rad 2 score. Yeah, I would have to say I was a little bit surprised by the gender issue in that we typically um, think of women as being the proponents for screening. So I don't know um, that I have a really good explanation for that. As it relates to the LungRADS2 score, I would say um, that the adherence was likely higher there because while the patients had to return in 12 months, LungRADS2 means a screen-detected nodule that is, quote, likely benign. So when results are 
given to patients, at least in this program and many others, they are made aware that they have a lung nodule. Um, so, too, the primary care providers that were being pinged by the centralized program were made aware that the patient had a lung nodule. And you say that, and I think it, it causes folks to pause and say, okay, well, I need to come back because they saw something last year and I need to make sure it hasn't grown. So even though the interval of follow-up is the same as 12, uh, 12 months, I think that that's probably what prompts the follow-up and better and so, so in the lung rads one, they think, oh, the scan was normal, so I don't need any follow-up. But importantly, it needs to be stressed then that they do need the follow-up regardless if it was normal. Absolutely, and that yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I think that's the message for anybody that's conducting lung screening that that message really has to be um, driven in is that you know this is a, a yearly lung check. You know, you have to come back uh, so that we can make sure that nothing has changed in the interval as long as you're still eligible. So, Nicole, you obviously have the benefits of um, having a centralized approach at your facility. There are some hospitals who don't yet have a structured lung cancer screening program. What would your advice to them be in order to adopt a centralized approach, and how would they go about ensuring that they have sufficient staff or sufficient resources to gain an FTE for a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant to, to get this program up and running? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I can certainly sit in an ivory tower and say, well, this is how we do it and it's the best. Um, but, you know, there's always room for improvement. And I think that, you know, there's a couple of, of ideas around this. So there are some programs that are already up and running, but um, the uptake of lung cancer screening across the country has been pretty poor in those that are eligible. And as I said before, one size does not fit all. And so I think, you know, if you have... Um, the bandwidth and your system can support it and you're starting fresh, whereas no one's been screened before and you're looking to start a program, I would point uh, the listeners to the chess publication by Peter Mazzone and colleagues that looked at the qualities um, and metrics for a high-quality lung cancer screening program. Um, it outlines nine components that really say exactly what it is that you need to have in place to conduct high-quality screening. There's also um, a manuscript that was published uh, in the Blue Journal by Wiener and colleagues um, that looks at the practical aspects and the phases of implementation of a lung screening program. And so I always point um, folks that are asking me about lung screening and how to start up to those two um, really insightful manuscripts. Um, they can give you a lot of good data. And I also think because screening has been around now for almost 10 years, there are programs that have done it right. And so I think, you know, asking around and looking for business plans that folks have done um, can be helpful. Some of the software programs that are um, commercially available will actually do a downstream um, cost-benefit analysis. You know, so what winds up happening really is you do these screens and then there's some workup that needs to be done. And so it winds up paying for the salary of one of these advanced practice providers. If you can imagine, if you find a bunch of early lung cancers, those are surgeries that get done and that's money that comes back to the facility. And so that's more for, you know, large healthcare systems, but for individuals that are looking to screen maybe outside of a private, within a private practice group, again, that would be more of a, I guess, a decentralized approach. I would just um, really suggest at the very least um, talking to the practice plan about getting some type of um, 
software program to help manage and uh, cue who's supposed to come back and get support for, for a nurse navigator. Um, you know, if you want to do it right uh, and ensure that, that folks are not falling through the cracks, um, because that can lead to, and I hate to say this, but like medical legal issues, um, and, you know, I have heard of some programs that have used those types of tort examples as a reason um, to get a, a supporter program. And there's precedence with this, I think, within mammography and radiology um, to have a, a dedicated type of program in that um, type of way. And so, again, one size doesn't fit all. And you think about rural practices and how that might be hard to, um, you know, review cases in a multidisciplinary fashion. But Nowadays, um, with all the telehealth that's out there, I think we can be creative and novel about um, collaborating with centers that have multidisciplinary programs for, you know, maybe patients that have long runs for to get an evaluation um, uh, remotely, et cetera. So I think there are ways to go about it. Um, other ways to improve adherence, I think, really um, are uh, on a multi-level uh, way. So there's the system-level type of intervention, which I just um, kind of discussed with a tracking tool uh, and maybe EMR alerts to let providers know when patients are due. Then there's the provider-level in- interventions, which are kind of like what we're doing now, letting people know that it- adherence is important. Um, and really stressing that. And if you are starting a program, when you onboard a new navigator or APP to really kind of educate that person on how adherence is just as important as uptake. You know, a lot of folks spend a lot of time talking about uptake of lung screening and how it's so bad, and I agree 100%, but the other side of that teeter-totter is really adherence, and if we don't do both, um, we're doing a disservice to our patients. And then the last piece is the patient-level part of um, increasing adherence. And so there are a lot of thoughts around that, not only at the time of shared decision-making, but maybe tweaking or pinging the patient a few months beforehand, um, you know, sending out mailers, just like you would get to have your yearly dental appointment, those types of things. But I think just letting patients know, and what we've heard from some of the qualitative interviews we've done with patients who were adherent and not adherent was that they just didn't know. They did not know that it was that important. And maybe they had been told and they had just forgotten. But I think emphasizing that and empowering the patients and certainly harnessing any type of EMR reminders um, that are patient-facing is another way to try to improve adherence. That's uh, really important. I think, you know, the importance of investing in infrastructure, which uh, if you don't invest in good infrastructure, you're not going to have good outcomes. Um, Nicole, there are no perfect studies. Um, Yours was a single-sensor retrospective study, so there are limitations. Maybe you could just comment on that um, so that um, future studies can be informed uh, from what you learned. Sure. And so, as you said, it's a single-center trial. Um, it was done in an academic medical center. Uh, it's retrospective. Certainly, uh, those are the big weaknesses and limitations of the study. Um, as I said before, our centralized component was notifying the decentralized providers that they needed to bring patients back. So, in fact, the adherence might be higher in that group than you would see otherwise. So, I think as studies are done, uh, moving forward, you know, you would probably eliminate that and just see the, the true differences. Um, and, and you would want to probably incorporate uh, or look at this across a number of healthcare systems, community versus, um, you know, academic, rural versus urban. I think those types of, of comparisons are important. 
Great. I think you've done an absolutely stunning job. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us um, and share your really important findings on how much better a centralized approach is to a decentralized approach. Um, I do want to give you the opportunity to leave our audience with any concluding remarks um, or any take-home messages um, about the importance of lung cancer screening. Thanks. I really appreciate that. I would just encourage the audience to look at the new U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommendation for screening and then really encourage and put in the front of your mind the importance of adherence. And so, so great if you're able to get a patient to agree to that first scan, but you're really going to see the mortality reduction on subsequent scans. So, hammer home the adherence uh, and think about that as one of the critical and quality metrics for lung screening. Absolute pleasure speaking with you, Dr. Tanner, and a very big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is a chess podcast.